All right, thanks, Sam. Hey, good to be with all of you guys again today. And there's when I speak here and Sam invites me to, to share, I'm always very, very excited, but also very nervous because I feel like in a lot of ways I'm sharing with peers because I'm only 36, so I'm, I'm technically a young adult, or at least I feel like a young adult. Actually, I felt like a young adult until yesterday. So we, my family and I, we were wa- uh, walking up the core yesterday with, with our pup and our three kids and my wife and I, and you know, we were taking some selfies and family portraits. I felt good walking up the, the core. I didn't, it wasn't winded at all or my legs weren't sore. I felt good. But then I saw the picture like, that my wife took, the selfie. And I'm like, who's the old man in that picture? She's like, no, that's you. I, like, you're, you're gray. I'm like, no, that's just the snow reflecting off my hair. Like, but I got some whis- like, white whiskers coming through. I'm getting gray. But, but so I, I'm, not, I'm a young adult, but I'm, a, I'm an aging young adult. So, but it is good to be with you guys. Uh, don't worry, it's coming for all of us in the room. It's coming for you. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful to be here and to share in Ecclesiastes. And um, this is actually a, a passage that uh, I wasn't I never thought I would preach this. I mean, I knew maybe at some point I would preach through Ecclesiastes, but as I begin to study the book and the passage that we're going to be in tonight, um, I just was really energized by this. It fueled my faith. It gave me a new perspective. I was able to see things that uh, maybe I hadn't seen clearly before. Uh, so it was just a joy. So we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 2, and we're really going to be focusing on you know, finding meaning in self-indulgence or pleasure or even materialism. And so I, I thought of a creative way to do this. I've actually divided this up almost like a play. And I'll talk about this in a moment. Uh, but, as, but as we find our way in Ecclesiastes and we dive into our text and our message, let's just ask God to bless our time together. So join me as we pray. Lord, thanks for this time uh, to share. I, I pray, Lord, that as we spend some time in, in this chapter, Ecclesiastes 2, 1 through 11, um, that you just open up our hearts to have a, a fresh vision of Jesus and finding supreme joy and, and long-term satisfaction in him. And so uh, may we learn from uh, the preacher tonight in Ecclesiastes, may again direct our hearts to your word, uh, open up our hearts, God, to hear your spirit uh, in this moment. Christ, let me pray, amen. So as I said, materialism, self-indulgence, that's kind of the theme that we're going to see tonight. And as I was Studying this, a, a, a children's story came to my mind. It's more of a cautionary tale. And maybe you've read it or at least heard of it. It's called The Madman and the City. I'm not sure if you've heard it or, or not, but materialism is basically the theme, or avoiding materialism is kind of the warning in the story. And it really talks about this man named Julian who lives in a village, and it's a very peaceful calm, quiet village. He enjoys his time there, but as time goes on, a lot of the residents of the village begin to move out of the village and into the city. And the the population of this village dwindles and dwindles and dwindles. And then one day Julian realizes, you know what? I'm kind of on my own here. I think I will also go check out the city. So he begins to make his journey to the city. And once he gets there, what he finds is not at all what he expected. First of all, he realized that all the people in the city are just hustling and bustling from point A to point B, and there's really no time to interact with anybody. It's just constant moving from one point to the next. And one of the gentlemen walking around really intrigued him. He was in in a particular hurry, and and Julian thought, well, he must be going to someplace exciting. I'm going to follow this guy. So he followed around the entire day, only to end up at the guy's home. The guy walked in his door and, and shut the door, and Julian's left standing outside. It was not that exciting at all. He was just rushing around to his house. And that night, Julian spent time in the park. That's where he slept. 
And when he got to the park, he saw something that he, he had never seen before. It was, it was these flowers that had silver and, and gold petals on them. He was so impressed. And he thought, wow, what an incredible place that, that they grow flowers that are silver and gold. That's as till the next morning when a gentleman came and, and threw his candy bar wrapper onto the ground. And he realized, oh, this is not a flower at all. This is actually garbage. And then he goes to a warehouse and people are in this warehouse and he thought it was a museum. And he's like, this must be the greatest museum ever. People are going in and out. And he's like, I'm gonna go check it out. So he walks into this warehouse and realizes very quickly that it's not a museum. It's actually a place where people are buying and selling goods. It's what we would know as a warehouse or a Walmart or a Sam's Club, something like that. And he's like, people are buying all these weird instruments. They're buying watches that don't tell time. And they're buying electronics that do a lot of different things, but none of them very well. And, and they're always disappointed because they're not, they're not getting the reaction that they expected. But I think what the, the story concludes with, with Julian in, in a park interacting with some children, and they look so happy. They're running and they're playing, they're enjoying time together, except for one little boy who's on a bench and he's just frustrated. And he's on something that Julian defines as a console. And he's on this console and he's just pounding on this thing, pounding, pounding, pounding. He seems so frustrated. So Julian says, you know what, I, I'm gonna help him out. I'm gonna give him a hand. So he goes over to the boy, he grabs the console out of his hand, he throws it on the ground, he stomps on it and he breaks it. He thought this is what the boy wanted. He looks at the boy and, and, and just this a sense of accomplishment and the boy loses his mind. He loses it. And then all of the other kids in, in the park that were playing so peacefully, now they start to be angry. And then the parents are angry. They get so angry that they actually run Julian out of town, back to the village from where he came from. And he actually says in the story that, wow, I think the whole world has gone mad. Now, I think the point of the story that the author is making is that materialism, when it becomes the most important thing, can really be destructive in our life. It can really just destroy us. And, and as we think about this story, we look at our text, I think in a lot of ways, this is what the preacher is saying. He's saying, listen, materialism, it's, it's great. Possessions, they're fine. You know, all these different things that we have, it's good, but it can't be the most important thing. It certainly can't be our supreme source of joy and satisfaction. And so as we read this text, I think we'll see very clearly what the preacher is saying to, to us, to the readers of this, of this book. Let's, let's read the first 11 verses together of chapter 2. It starts, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart was still guiding me with wisdom and how I lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to, to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than anyone who'd been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. 
and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward of my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended, and what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all, I'm sorry, I skipped a couple of pages. Next page, all right, let me start over at verse number uh, nine. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. So also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity, and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So we've been learning in this series how the preacher is on a quest to learn what brings him supreme and ultimate satisfaction and pleasure and joy. And so in these verses, the, the preacher is, is, is administering a series of logical tests in his heart on what might bring him pleasure. And what did he discover? Havel, vanity, vapor. In many ways, as I said, this, this story, this account, this writing reminds me of a tragedy. A tragedy is a type of theatrical drama that chronicles a certain character's misfortunes. You know, I think of Death of a Salesman. It tells of Willie Loman's desire to chase the American dream only to, to wind up empty time after time and, and disappointed. And, and we see this also reflected in his son Biff throughout the play. So as we think about our text, I want to break this up in, in two different acts. Act one is this. Let's talk through act one first. Luxury, laughter, and liquor. This is act one. Let's set the scene. A man deep in thought is found sitting at his desk writing notes about the test he is performing. His hair is messy from his hand, rubbing back and forth on his head. His, head. his clothes are a bit disheveled, and he has the appearance of a man who is struggling to find answers. See, the pastor or the preacher wasn't able to find what he was looking for in chapter one, meaning wisdom. He couldn't find it in that. And now he's testing whether self-indulgence and, and possessions, pleasures, will satisfy his desires. Will they provide lasting benefit in his life? And so notice what he says in verses one and two. He said, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure, enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure, what use is it? And so we see pleasure luxuries, the good things in life, they did not provide the joy that he was looking for. Even laughter, he says, laughter is mad. It feels empty. It's here for a bit. It feels good in the moment, but it just doesn't laugh. They, they provide some sense of short-term pleasure in his life, but ultimately he emphatically declares that, wow, pleasures, luxuries, and laughter, they're ultimately, they're temporary. It's the good things. It's good, but it's not the ultimate even the best things in life can't offer long-term satisfaction. And I think if, if we identify with the preacher for a second, we know this is true, don't we? I think to some degree, all of us can, can resonate with this because if we're honest, we, we've probably administered similar tests in our own mind and our own heart. And so we think, well, if I, if I go to college, maybe, maybe that will provide the, the pleasure that I'm looking for, the desire, the, the itch that I have. It'll be scratched with college. Or, or maybe if I find the right job, the dream job, that will take care of it. If I buy 
the new car, if I get my dream home, maybe that will be what will bring me ultimate pleasure and satisfaction. If I have a family, if I can just get married, maybe have a few kids, that will take care of my pleasure problem. That will take care of my joy issue. This is it. This is what I'm looking for. But at the end of the day, what do we discover? These items never provide long-term refreshment and satisfaction. It's not wrong to to pursue college. It's not wrong to pursue the dream job. Not wrong to, to do any of those things that I just mentioned. In fact, we should be chasing those things. That's okay, but they can't be the supreme things. They can't be what what we chase after to say, this is the end of the rainbow, if you will, that will provide this joy for me, because that's just simply not true. I've discovered this in my own life multiple times. I I think of when I was in seventh grade. Again, let's take a trip on the Wayback Machine for a second. To 1999, I was a seventh grader, 13, 14 years old in 1999. And I remember being in the Tippecanoe Mall in Lafayette, Indiana. So my my family's from Northwest Indiana. So Lafayette, uh, we were at the Tippecanoe Mall. Right at the main entrance of the mall was Babbage's Game Shop. And I remember being with my dad. My mom was probably somewhere in the mall too, but I remember specifically walking with my dad past this game shop. And in, in the display window, on the, the big screen that they had there, they had the demo for NFL 2K playing on the Sega Dreamcast. Now, I had never seen anything like this before. Think 1999 technology. Like, it was, it was blowing my mind in this moment. I thought, I thought the game was on TV. That's how real it looked. And I knew in that moment when I saw the Dreamcast, I'm like, I don't just want this. I, I need this. I need this Dreamcast. And not only do I need the Dreamcast, I need NFL 2K. So I probably saw, it's probably sometime in October, maybe November, close enough to Christmas time that I could begin kind of putting the bug in my mom and dad's ear. So I remember just probably every day, at least weekly, dad, mom, I gotta have the Dreamcast. That has to be the top of my list. So, you know, fast forward a couple of weeks, we finally get to Christmas day. I unrip all my gifts, like paper all over the place, no Dreamcast. But my dad had snuck the Dreamcast in a different room, brought it out after we thought Christmas was over. Me and my two younger sisters rip it open, and there's the Dreamcast. Not only did I get the Dreamcast, I got the game. I got NFL 2K. Boom. Joy forever, right? Until eight weeks go by, and I'm sick of NFL 2K. I'm like, man, this is just not doing it for me anymore. NBA 2K, Allen Iverson on the cover. I got to have that game. And then I wanted a fighting game. So I got another fighting game, and it just wasn't enough. And then fast forward a couple years, man, PS has got a system now. But PlayStation, I got to get one of those. Xbox is out. You think about all the different like, advancements in technology. I just I had to keep up. I felt like if I got this, then boom, I'm in. It's, it's going to fill me with joy. But it, it didn't. It, didn't last, it just doesn't last long enough. It was a ton of fun. Actually, Honestly, I still have that Dreamcast in my home right now. And I still play it every now and again. That's, that's staying power, fellas. That's what it is. <laughs> but it doesn't last very long, right? It doesn't work. And eventually that's just going to be in a trash heap somewhere in, in the U.S. Like, that's just what's going to happen. Again, the preacher isn't condemning the things we enjoy. It's not sinful for me to enjoy my Dreamcast or buy a new car, or a home, or get the dream job, or go to college. None of those things are sinful or wrong. Laughter isn't sinful or wrong, right? We, we have laughed just in the last few moments. It can be really good, but that can't be where we look for our ultimate desire. That can't be where we, where we look for our supreme joy. It has to be something different. Anything 
that our world produces that ultimately can't be our source of joy and satisfaction. Not only does the preacher look at luxuries and laughter, he also, in the text, says he turns to, to wine. Notice what he says in verse 3 as we continue through Act 1. He says, I search with my heart. That's, that's some intense searching. Like, that wasn't just, I think I might try this. Like he spent some time thinking about this. I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. How to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Now, before we continue, I think it might be helpful just to know the thought process of a sage at this period of history. Because it was not uncommon for them to administer these kind of tests. See, sages would observe things that occurred in life, and then they would develop a thought process or thought patterns based on what they were observing. And they would oftentimes spend significant amounts of time in deep thought, just observing and thinking about different situations. And this is what the preacher is doing in this moment. He's making observations. He's administering a test in his own heart. And he's trying to come to some kind of conclusion. And what he discovers is just like luxuries, just like laughter, wine, liquor, it doesn't provide the, the joy, the, the, the satisfaction that he is looking for. Now, he's not condemning the consumption of wine. Rather, he's just saying that this just isn't cutting. This isn't going to provide long-term joy. Nor is he, in this moment, talking about drinking to the point of drunkenness. It would have been common knowledge to know that drunkenness was sinful. Here's what one theologian said about the use of wine in this period of history. Wine refers to fermented juice made from grapes. And though it was a drink common that, played, uh, that was common that played an important part in Jewish culture, drunkenness was always condemned. So it would have been common knowledge. They would have known drunkenness was just an understood thing. It's wrong. We're going to avoid that altogether. That's why he doesn't mention that in the text. And so he's not condoning it, but he's just saying wine, ultimately, liquor, it just doesn't do it. It just doesn't provide the long-term joy, satisfaction that one may think that you can find in it. And he, he proclaims that energetically. I think this is a, a relevant reality for, for all of us in the room. And while it certainly doesn't apply to everyone, there may be plenty of, of those of us in here who avoid alcohol, but I think in our area, in our world that we live in, the search to, to find long-term pleasure in alcohol is a reality. It's a real thing. As I was studying the sermon, I began to check statistics on alcohol users in the U.S., I hold these statistics loosely. Not all the data says the same thing, but the numbers are pretty close no matter where, uh, where you find your data. But here's, here's what I found out. According to the National Institute on Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism, this was a 2019 uh, survey on, on drug use and health. It says 85.6% uh, of people ages 18 and older reported that they, they've drank alcohol at some point in their lifetime. 69.5% reported they have had alcohol in the past year, and 54.9% say they've had a drink within the last month. Again, I hold those statistics loosely, but we can, we can pretty you know, confidently say around 55, between 55 and 60% of U.S. Like Americans, adult Americans, uh, find some kind of pleasure in alcohol at different periods throughout the month. That doesn't mean we're drinking to excess. It's just we enjoy a glass of wine or a drink with some friends. That's just the national American statistic. 
But we see, what, just based on those numbers, the temptation to find long-term joy in that situation, in that setting, is a very real temptation. And then that can lead to drunkenness. It can lead to excess. It can lead to that. But wow, we find that, that, that this is just a real temptation that lots of people say, if I could just get together with my social group and have a drink, that would be good. If I could just, just blow off some steam after a Friday night of hard, hard work, hit some happy hour, like that will take care of it. It doesn't last long, right? It's, it's, it's a great thing to enjoy that time with your friends. It just doesn't last long. But not only this, the World Population Review shared that of the 10 drunkest cities in the U.S., Seven of them are in Wisconsin. Seven. Wausau is actually number nine on the list. It's been at number nine for a, for a few years at this point. But think about just our area. We're not far from some of these cities. La Crosse, Green Bay, Wausau, Madison. Like, we're not far from any of those cities, right? That's, that's, that's us. That is us. Like, so that temptation is real. Even Wausau itself, it's It's real. And so we, we think, man, if I could just have this, wow, boom, I'll find joy. But the preacher's saying, did it, tried it, doesn't work. It doesn't provide joy. Long-term pleasure is not found in luxuries, laughter, or liquor. End of scene one. End of act one. And so the scene ends with the preacher still deep in thought, but noticeably at ease, as if he's putting another piece of the puzzle together. Still writing, the preacher shifts his thinking. This is how our scene ends. Now let's talk about act two. Act two, material madness. Let's start with the scene. The preacher has moved from his desk to the roof of his house overlooking his property. In the background are barns with livestock roaming in and out. Servants are carrying various tools and buckets, clearly tending the farm. There are also pools of water in the middle of the most beautiful orchards producing very desirable fruit. This is the next scene. See, as the preacher continues to find out where true lasting pleasure comes from, he now turns from luxuries and laughter and liquor to now material goods. Surely materialism will be where he finds his answer, right? But let's notice what, what he, where he starts out in verse number four. He says, I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female servants. I had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks. More than any who had been before me in Jerusalem, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. And from my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was the reward for all my toil. And so the preacher, in his quest for long-term satisfaction, long-term joy, long-term pleasure, he spared no expense. He, he was serious about finding this in his heart. He spared no expense. In fact, verse 10 tells us that whatever his eye desired, he made sure that he had it. 
That, that's some capital right there. That is, that is a healthy bottom line. He, was, he wanted it. He got it. I think some of us are thinking, man, this dude's got to be the happiest guy on earth, right? I mean, he had houses and vineyards, gardens, parks, orchards. He had treasures. He had livestock. He had, he had people. He had, he had it all. He has to be happy, right? Materialism has to be the answer, right? Well, not so fast. I mean, the preacher goes on to, to say this in verse 11 after he's just told us what, what he's uh, just uh, gathered in his short life. He says in verse 11, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was awesome. And I was super happy and I was joyful forever. Is that what your Bible says? No, it says all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Feeling encouraged yet? I told you this was a tragedy. Once again, the preacher is met with the harsh reality that there is nothing new under the sun that can provide any long-term joy, pleasure, and satisfaction. It's all vanity, havel, vapor. But what a, what a discouraging place to find yourself. He spared no expense. Like he wanted it, he got it. He saw it, he needed it, he purchased it. And there was this, this craving that just could not be satisfied no matter what he did. I wonder how many of us feel or have felt like that before. Maybe we have attempted to use materialism to fix this long-term you know, joy issue in our heart. Now, I was talking to a young adult just not that long ago. I had a chance to interact with them, and I was doing a survey. I, I, I'm preaching a sermon on peace, the part of the fruit of the Spirit. And I was just doing a survey, and I just said, where, when you are looking for that go-to for peace, where do you go? And he says, I go to things. I buy things. It makes me feel good. But he's like, you know what? It really doesn't work. It doesn't provide that much pleasure like, because I want the next thing. I'm like, you could really be reading Ecclesiastes 2 right now. This is what the preacher is saying. And this is, I think a lot of us fall into this. It's not found in materialism. It's, it's not found in what we see in our world. I mean, just take, take a listen to what some scholars are discovering about those struggling with depression and anxiety in relation to materialism. This is a real thing. It's, it's proven, it's observable, it's repeatable, it's scientific. This information is from uh, Medical News Today. According to the research team, who recently published their findings online in the Journal of Personality and Individual Differences, materialistic people find it more difficult to be grateful for what they have, which causes them to become miserable. This was a quote from the journal that I read. The article continues, the team says that people who are materialistic tend to be me-centered. They are more likely to focus on what they do not have and are unable to be grateful for what they do have, whether it is their family, a nice house, or a good job. The article actually ends by suggesting that true pleasure is found in, in a grateful attitude surrounded by people who care about us. That, that's, where, that's where joy is found. I, I think that's good, it's probably incomplete, where we're going to finish that statement here in just a few moments. But I think this is a telling piece of research. Around people who love us, grateful for what we have, and we have longer lasting pleasure in our life. Again, good stuff, I think it's incomplete, I'm going to talk about here in a moment. But people who struggle with materialism are often quoted, defined as being miserable people, ungrateful for what they have, only wanting more because of me-centeredness. They find long-term pleasure or joy just completely absent from that. Now, I, was, I would love to say that this is just a theory. This is just for people that I read about in articles, but <laughs> the reality is that's true of my heart. 
And this is not just a, a childhood issue for Isaiah. This is a real-life 36-year-old issue for Isaiah. I, I, I love to smoke meat. This is just a passion. It's a hobby that I started this past summer. I love it. Guys, listen, I love it. If you're looking for a Christmas gifts, I like sauces, I like rubs, I like pork butts. I'm in. Like, I love it. And, it, um, and in the weekends, we love smoked meat Saturday at my house. So I have a, I have a what I, my rig is not impressive, but it does the job. It's a, it's a 16-inch diameter bullet smoker, stands about this tall. It's perfect for a family of five. It's, it's perfect for a family of five. Like, I can smoke ribs, I can do pork butts, I can do chicken, I can do just about anything. And I love it so much. Smoke Meat Saturday is my favorite day of the week. But here's where I find myself, man, I like this smoker. I need a bigger smoker. Because then I could, then I could do like competitions and stuff. I'm never going to do barbecue. I'm not that good. Like, I just like to cook for my family. But this is what my mind thinks. If I could just have the bigger smoker, then I could feed more people. I could do more. And man, I, I, can't, I can't do four pork butts. I could do eight pork butts. That's what I need to do. Listen, four pork butts would probably feed everybody in this room. Like four pork butts is a lot of meat. But I think, man, if I could just have more and I could just accumulate more. So instead of being grateful to spend that time with my family, because we all, we all like the smell and we all like to be outside and it's just a ton of fun. I, I'm not grateful for those moments. I'm thinking about what I don't have. That article is talking about me. They didn't survey me, but man, it's so identified my heart. Like, I just want more and I need this. And so this is not just 13-year-old Isaiah issues. These are right now here, my issues. What, what is it speaking to your heart? You know, where do we find ourselves being ungrateful and as the article decides, maybe even a little bit miserable because we're just chasing the things rather than the person. Now, this is a powerful lesson that the preacher teaches that materialism, it's vanity. And that's the end of the scene. That's the end of act two. We leave with the preacher still searching for answers. And so as we spend our last few moments together, let's just get to the heart of the matter. If we don't find long-term satisfaction in materialism, laughter, luxuries, and liquor, then where do we find it? Where there has to be hope, right? There has, there has to be an answer here. Where do we find long-term joy? I think we clearly see how we can experience long-lasting, long-term even eternal blessing, favor, and, and pleasure in the person of Jesus. Listen to some of the passages we read in Scripture. I think ultimately we find our joy in the person of Jesus. I think of what John said, in, or Jesus said in John 6, 35. Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We are completely satisfied in Jesus. I think of Psalm 107, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. We are completely satisfied in Jesus. I think of what Jesus was teaching to the woman at the well in John 4. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water, the water from the well of Jacob, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. We are completely satisfied in Jesus. 
So the question is, how do we find it? How do we find satisfaction in Jesus? How do I find this joy in Christ? Where do I begin? Well, let me share four simple ways that we begin to find satisfaction in Jesus. Number one is this, find salvation in Christ. Find salvation in Christ. See, before we think about where our satisfaction needs to be redirected, we first need to diagnose whether we have trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord of our life. That's where we have to start. Have you believed in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ for salvation? Believing that he lived sinlessly on this earth, died on a cross, absorbing the wrath of God for our sin, was buried in a tomb, rose again, and is seated at the right hand of God. Have we believed in the person and work of Christ? Because that's where we need to start. Find salvation in Christ. Believe in him. Believe in Christ. That's where we start. Find salvation in Christ. Number two is this. Become familiar with Christ. Become familiar with Christ. If you desire to be satisfied in him, then we need to learn all we can about him. Or this comes with intentional time in God's word. Listen, I know I might sound redundant, so let me repeat myself. Let's find intentional time in God's word. It's, it's critical. If we want to know how we can find satisfaction, have long-term joy, then let's turn to the source of joy, the source of satisfaction, the source of pleasure, who is Jesus. Become familiar with him. Listen to what scripture says about itself from Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the law of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. That sounds just opposite of what the preacher was searching for, wasn't it? Right? He's looking for materials, he's looking for luxuries and liquor, but it says here, more to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant worn and keeping him is great reward. There's satisfaction in becoming familiar with Christ and we learn about him from his word. Number three is this, prioritize the people of Christ. Now listen, there's no one way to do this. There are lots of ways we can prioritize the people of Christ. But however you choose to do this, make sure you're connecting with the body, the people of Christ. What I love about a young adult's ministry is there is built-in community here. You have a time to, to congregate like this, and then you go off into small groups, and you're able to invest in one another. That's prioritizing the people of Christ in your life. You want to have some ideas on how to curb wrong and misplaced desires and, and satisfactions and joys? Let's talk about it with the people of Christ. Have an accountability partner. By God's grace, there, there's three different groups that I'm able to meet with. Some of are just a one-on-one. This Thursday, I'll meet with him, and he always asks me, how's your walk with the Lord? How's your relationship with Amy? She's my wife. How are you leading your boys? And how's everything with the church? Really four crucial questions that I think really help me navigate. I meet with a leadership mentor. It kind of helps me focus on how things are going in ministry. And there's a group of pastors that have been meeting together uh, for, for over a year, and we're able to talk about some of the, the hard things in life. And it's just a joy to prioritize those groups and, and make that a, a place in my life where I can share what's happening. I, I love that. And if we want to have right desires, and we want to have proper satisfaction, we need to turn uh, to, our, to who God has given to us. We want to prioritize the people of Christ. And the number four, direct all your worship to Christ. 
Now, this number four is woven into each of the three uh, previous application points that I just gave. But if we want to have long-term joy, long-term satisfaction, let's direct our worship to Christ. See, at its very heart, at its core, materialism is idolatry. See, idolatry is any time that we elevate anything above where, where Christ should be in, in the throne of our heart. So if I'm, if I'm elevating materials, then I'm in idolatry. If I'm elevating my time with you know, outside things, I'm, I'm in idolatry. There's a lot of things we could plug in our eyes as, as, uh, as uh, Spurgeon say, our hearts are idol factories. It just creates, it just happens. So we have to guard that. We want to direct our worship to Christ. So we want to, we want to guard our desires. We want to have long-term pleasure. We want to start with, a, start with a, a relationship with Christ, become familiar with Christ, prioritize the people of Christ, and direct all your worship to Christ. I pray that's true of all of us today. I pray for you guys as you go into your life groups. Let me say a quick blessing, then I'll turn it over to Sam. Father, thanks so much for this time together. Your word is good and true and right. And I pray, God, that as we spend some time looking at some of the things that can steal our joy and peace and have it be just a temporary thing, we know that we can find eternal life in Christ. We can find long-term joy, satisfaction, pleasure in him. So I pray that's our heart today. I pray you receive glory in the conversations to come. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.